0: The spiritual nature of it, I think, comes from, I think we all went through a pretty big period of reflection over those two years of sitting still. I felt like I hadn't been forced to sit still since I was 17. And after that, I hit the road and there was always a way that I could move, escape, travel, see. It's not always just about escaping, but there is a sense of being in motion that suddenly was curtailed. And it forces one to sit and reflect and think. There's nothing else to do. It's the job ahead of you is to sit still and learn how to do that and be at peace with yourself. There are songs on the album that directly reflect that. I do think of it as a kind of spiritual feeling.
1: I'm Peter McCulley. Stephen Fearing, Tom Wilson, and Colin Linden, celebrated musicians in their own right, are collectively known as Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. they released their 11th studio album, entitled Oh Glory, The Juno award-winning trio are celebrating 25 years of making music together. We'll chat with Stephen Fearing on this edition of Today in BC. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Peter. How did you get together with Tom Wilson and Colin Linden probably more (laughs) than 25
0: years ago? Oh, yeah. 27 years we've been a band. I had heard about Tom when I was still living in East Van from my friend Pam Seal, who was a Sony record rep. So True North, who I'd signed to, was distributed by Sony. Tom and Junkhouse were signed directly to Sony. And she kept telling me about this guy, Tom Wilson. And I met him a couple of times. I went to see them play, I think, the Town Pump. And I remember thinking, why is everybody telling me about this guy? He's terrifying. He looks like he'd eat me for lunch. And <laughs> I ended up playing a show with him, a festival in Ontario, Earth Day Festival. I was on the bill, Junk House was on the bill, typical kind of Canadian <laughs> festival where you could have a solo singer songwriter and that crew. And again, he's very pleasant guy, kind of larger than life, but a, a little intimidating. I had basically moved to Ontario I had met Colin because I'd been touring with uh, opening shows for Bruce Coburn on the Nothing But a Burning Light Tour, because we were both on True North. Colin Linden was the band leader. And I remember thinking, man, this guy has got so many irons in the fire. He's a guy I want to figure out a project with of some kind. And I just moved to Ontario, and I was very mindful of needing to plug in. So I phoned him up and said, are you interested in doing some writing? so uh, i went into toronto we worked on a tune and on the way back to guelph where i just moved i uh, was thinking i gotta come up with a project i knew that he had worked with willie p for years and years as a sideman and i was a fan of willie p's and that was definitely connections i sent him an email and said what do you think about doing a tribute record to willie p bennett and it was the era where everybody was doing that there was a lot of tribute records and Colin, apparently was talking to his wife like 10 minutes before he got my email about the same idea and opened the email and went, aha. <laughs> and Colin being Colin, he said, let's not do the usual 12 different artists recording 12 songs. Let's put a band together. He said, we need one more vocalist. And there's this guy named Tom Wilson. I went, oh my God, that guy again. What's the deal with <laughs> that guy? <laughs> he keeps showing up. Yeah, it keeps showing up. So it was meant to be. And we went into the studio After that initial email, I think it was maybe a couple of months, if that, and we were in the studio with basically the bones of everything that became this band, the whole thing, the rhythm section. The only person that was there that's gone now is Richard Bell, who was our keyboard player. But other than that, it was there right from the get-go. And where did
1: the name come from,
0: Blackie and the Rodeo Kings? I had a feeling early on that this was gonna have some legs. I had no idea that it was gonna be 27 years later, but I knew that it was greater than the some of the parts. So I thought, we gotta come up with a name colin suggested the willies which i was like no i don't think so growing up in ireland that has a completely different connotation so i suggested blackie and the rodeo kings because of willie's famous record blackie and the rodeo king which is about these two characters that he meets in a hamilton bus station listens to their stories as they share a bottle and travel all the way up to north bay and so he wrote this great song interestingly there's this foreshadowing because one of the lines in the song is blackie was a beauty and the rodeo king was an indian who found the bottle a better friend than any old white man so this is long before any of us found out that tom wilson was a mohawk it was a a sort of a grandiose handle and title and uh, it summed the whole thing up and so we uh, went with that name i've never been one to try and pigeonhole someone on the kind of
1: sound Or the kind of music that they play especially when they're as wide ranging as blackie and the rodeo kings but how would you describe your sound would you categorize it
0: i know tom has talked about the highway six sound so you could trace a line from artists like the band you can definitely pick up on the southern ontario kind of a sound in that band and you can trace that sound through bands like the rio statics and a lot of those sort of last generation of ontario artists who were influenced by that i think that the three different vocalists the three different styles collins the consummate blues artist tom is the rock star dude and such a great storyteller and i'm the rootsy folk guy those are the real basic sort of outlines of the three of us but bring those together and it opens up this huge realm of possibilities for where we can go without it sounding awkward if we decided to do a disco record that might be a little awkward (laughs) we opened shows for merle haggard years ago and i didn't feel like we were too far out of our league it felt like we could be authentic in that realm and certainly we played a million folk festivals and blues festivals and rock festivals and we seemed to be able to cover that ground convincingly so there's something, there's a, an amorphous quality in the band. That's what I'm struggling to say.
1: Merle Haggard's work in Man Blues has certainly stood the test of
0: time. He was phenomenal. As a Canadian artist, you certainly spend a lot of time looking in from the outside, which is one of the reasons why I think the band was so fantastic is because they're mostly Canadians. When you're an observer and you're looking in from the outside, you can sometimes see things that people who grow up in the middle of something don't see in the same way. The drawback is that you don't get to be firsthand with a lot of your heroes. So it's difficult to feel like you have a strong connection to Delta Blues if you grew up in Etobicoke or in Nova Scotia. It's secondhand. And being on tour with Merle Haggard, being that close to him... I felt like I was getting close to the flame. There was a sense of being really close to one of the originators, one of the lightning rods. I found something on your Wikipedia page, which I thought was interesting.
1: It mentions that they found on President George W. Bush's iPod some of the band's music. Now, they didn't say how they got their hands on George W. Bush's iPod, but that kind of speaks to the sound that you have might be welcome in a place like Texas.
0: Yeah, it was pretty interesting to look at. Apparently it was the music that he listens to when he's mountain biking around on his property. And I'm sure it was a White House press idea to make him seem a little hipper and a little more relevant because it was at a time when there was a serious hate on for George Bush Jr. Nowadays, I think we all look at him and go, God, he wasn't so bad after
1: all. Yeah,
0: pretty tame. (laughs) Pretty tame. The band's
1: got a pretty special chemistry Each of you spend most of the year working on your own things, your own projects. Uh And then you get back together each time over 27 years. And to me, the group just sounds better.
0: I can't disagree with you. I feel the same way. There's always a sense when we're finished a tour or finished a recording of leaving something that you really love. And it's like a family reunion that is not fraught with horrible (laughs) tensions and anxiety. It's like getting together with your ideal family. And then you spend time with them doing something that you all love. And then you have to say goodbye and leave. And so there always is a sense of sadness and parting. And whenever we get back together, it's right back where we left off. And that's remarkable after 27 years and the fact that we didn't see each other hardly even on zoom during the entire covid period until we started making a record but having done it this way for so long we kind of know if i zig then he's gonna zag and everybody knows what each person's gonna do in a given situation and we have been through a lot we've been through divorces and rehab and death and we've watched each other grow old and lose family members and We've lost band members. We've been through a lot, and it's still there. It's still very strong. And each one of us at this point cherishes it, I think, is probably the right word.
1: We're going to spend some time talking about the new album on this podcast, but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about your album, Kings and Queens, which was recorded in 2011. It had some duets with some A-listers. There was Emmylou Harris, Roseanne Cash, Cassandra Wilson, Serena Ryder, just to mention a few.
0: It was, as I've said, at talking about our origin story, the band is a collaboration right from the start. So once we started to form into a solid unit, we started thinking about collaborating with other artists. And that's something we've always been really interested in doing right from the start. So there's always been guest artists on our records. And we all enjoy the idea of taking what we do as a band and focusing it on another artist. So It was one of those late-night van drives, as I recall. It's funny, because I tell the story one way, Colin remembers it another. His version is that when we were crossing Canada on this Roots on the Rails train. But basically, it was, why don't we make a record with some female artists? Why don't we take this band, this sort of aging testosterone band, and work with some female artists that we love and admire? Colin being Colin, his Rolodex is pretty impressive. I think at that point, he had already been in Emmylou Harris's band. I can't remember exactly, but we called Pam Tillis, who had sung on one of our tunes from a previous record and asked her if she would consider being part of a a duet's album, as it were. And she said, absolutely. And we kind of knew then that this idea had some wings and Colin phoned Emmylou and she said, yes. And he phoned Lucinda and she said, yes. There were some artists that none of us knew that we cold called, Patty Scialfa, Bruce Springsteen's partner. There were lots of artists that we called who weren't available for various reasons. It was a remarkable thing to do because I felt like we're at our best as a band when we're being pushed to really step up. There was something about working with Roseanne Cash, for instance, where you think, I better get this right. I don't want to make an ass of myself. It really pushed us, and it really pushed us as writers to think, okay, I'm not going to be singing this song. This song's going to be sung by I don't know who, because at that point when we were writing, we didn't know who the guests were going to be, but is going to be a female artist. So is this perspective going to work? Is this key going to work? All that stuff. And you don't know when you ask somebody like Emily Lou to be involved. If she wants to sing the whole song, absolutely, go ahead. If she just wants to sing a harmony on the choruses, Whatever you want to do is fine, but it means that when you're recording bed tracks, because there's no way that we could have all those artists like lined up in the green room of the studio waiting for their turn to come in one by one. It was a matter of Colin flying around with hard drives, chasing them down to wherever they happened to have a day off from their tour or going into their home studios or wherever to record them. It took about a year to get all the parts. After... I think we were in the studio as a band for about six days to record the basic beds of all the songs. Cause it always goes fast with the band. And then he spent a year getting all the guests wow. on, wow. and then we went back and added harmony vocals to what they'd done to kind of bring it all together. But again, hats off to Colin Linden because he made it into a very cohesive and beautiful sounding record.
1: And a few years later, you revisited that format. And just changed it slightly to accommodate some guys on the yeah. album "Kings and Kings." Bruce Coburn was there. Rodney Crowell, he's now the ambassador of the Grand Old Opry. Vince Gill was there. Yeah, yeah. Raul Malo. For folks who yeah. may not be familiar with his name, he's one of my faves. He's a lead singer of the Mavericks. Unbelievable
0: singer. And you covered a lot of musical bases on that album. We realized that these guests, again, they come from very disparate musical backgrounds there's a sort of a thread that runs through they're all roots music but that's a pretty big umbrella going from Nick Lowe to Raul Malo to Vince Gill there's quite a lot of variety in there but oh my god Vince Gill what a what an absolutely incredible musician singer composer, everything. He's just astounding. For me personally, working with Nick Lowe and having him duet with me, and he asked if it was okay if he rewrote some of the lyrics. I said, whatever you want to do, it's fine by me. I got to ask him later, why did you rewrite? What was it about the lyric that you wanted to change? And again, when you're writing these songs, you're writing from your own perspective. I think the lyric was, I was born at the start of the summer of love. I grew up in a world full of change. That was the original line. And he said, I could never sing that line because nobody's ever going to believe that Nicola was born at the start of the summer of love. He said, they might believe that you were, but they're never going to believe that I was. He changed it to an eager young man in the summer of love, which was like, okay, that's cool. But then the genius of his writing was he changed the next line to, I was loose in a world full of change which is such a great metaphor because it immediately gets your brain going in two directions at once. And that's what I love about Nick Lowe. He's very clever. And we got some of that kind of British wit through him on the record. And I was so excited to have him on the record.
1: When Today in BC continues, Stephen Fearing talks about the latest album from Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. And we'll listen in to a tune. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up to date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. I'm Peter McCulley. Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. Stephen, the pandemic took the music industry off the road, literally, for more than two years. You were in Victoria. Colin Linden was in Nashville and Tom Wilson in Hamilton, but you found your way around the physical distance using technology to write and record the latest album. Oh, glory.
0: Yeah. Within the first two months of the pandemic, I tried to organize a zoom session where we would, I don't know, talk. And it was early days. Everybody was trying to figure out zoom technology and how to reach out. Because when you go from, touring as a livelihood to sitting still, it's very difficult. You're spiraling back to earth and you have to be careful because you can die upon re-entry. And so I immediately did what everybody did, which is trying to get my friends onto a Zoom call out to the world. And it was a disaster. It was a classic Zoom disaster where microphones wouldn't work, signals cutting in and out. People on the chat group were going, we can't hear Tom. Collins disappeared. And finally, I just had to shut the whole thing down. And I didn't speak to those guys again, except through the occasional email for about a year and a half, just because everybody disappeared into their own private hell or version thereof, or just went gardening. I gardened for about three months. Then we started floating the idea of doing something more. And Warner had signed us out of the blue for the King of This Town record, which came out at the start of 2020. We were one of those bands that released the record just before the lights went out. Honestly, I really thought that they were gonna throw the towel and go, nice try, but let's just call it quits because who knew what was gonna happen in the next several years? And we were never an expensive band. They weren't throwing a lot of money at us to make the record, but still, it was definitely something they were doing because they liked the band, not because they thought they were gonna make a fortune from us on streaming. And to my surprise, they came back and said, we want to do another record. So that immediately gave us a focus, which has always been the thing with this band is a project, a tour, a recording, whatever it is, we all gather around that fire as a band and do our thing. And we found ourselves really seriously looking into how we could send convincing musical files into Colin. I'd been dabbling in working with Universal Audio gear and at that point had enough that I could send in a decent vocal and a decent guitar part that he could work with. So we did it. It happened quite quickly. Colin went away and mixed and he came back and there was an album. It was probably the least involved I've ever been with making a record in that, you know, I recorded my parts and sent them in and then just... Went back to gardening and making sourdough bread for a couple of months, and then <laughs> record arrived. I do love the record. To me, I can hear change in that record, a lot of change. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, speaking of change, have you any thoughts on artificial intelligence and the music industry moving forward? We've all heard that a new Beatles song has been created using artificial intelligence.
0: I remember when I was 16 years old living in Ireland, computers were on the horizon. We didn't get them in my year. It was the year behind us that got them. But I distinctly remember, I wish I had it around. I still have it. I had a friend whose father was a pilot for Aer Lingus. And so he was flying out of Dublin to New York every two or three days. And he came back with Texas instrument calculators for us. And we were told that we weren't allowed to use them in school. They were banned. And we were still using slide rules. And I remember thinking, this is stupid, man. This technology blows (laughs) slide rules out the window, which I could never figure out a slide rule. All I could do with slide rule was draw a line. But uh, the year behind us got it. And it sometimes takes a while for these things to catch up. So I'm surrounded by modern technology and recording possibilities. And it's incredible to me how much I can do from this very limited space. And at the same time, the other side of that sword is streaming, which is basically killing the industry. So like any technology, it's a double-edged sword. We have to figure out how to control it so that it doesn't end up running amok because we've, as humans, we have made some colossal mistakes. Hello, fossil fuels. (laughs) There's just so many things. They look so great at the start and we've no idea what's gonna happen in 60, 70, 200 years. And then, Suddenly it is 200 years later and we're looking at the ramifications of what appeared to be a great idea. My wife is profoundly dyslexic and she's going into her PhD program right now. She's a master's student who has read three books in her life. She struggles with the text-based interface. So AI for her is like the Texas Instrument Calculator was for me. It's a serious tool that allows you entry to a world that's been shut off from you. So I think that for a lot of people, artificial intelligence is going to be this incredible tool. But if we think it's going to create a Beatles song for us, then we're sadly mistaken. All it can do is put the parts together. Perhaps down the road, there'll be a way where it will create something different, but something more than we've created already and put it together in an interesting way. Humans are always moving ahead of technology. This would be the end of this long answer, but I read an article on the arts and AI. They were talking about what happened to painting when photography was invented. Because up until that point, there had been painters like Rembrandt in particular who were so into realism. And I don't know if you've ever seen a Rembrandt up close, but if you ever go to Holland, go to the museums and look at them and they're breathtaking because you are looking at hyper realism and then you get up close and you see the brush strokes. It's incredible. But when photography came along, the cutting edge artists of the day went, Okay, that game's over. Let's move on to something else. And they started coming in to Cubism and all these other ways of looking at it because the camera was now able to capture realism in a way that up until then, nobody'd been able to do it unless they could paint it. So we'll always move ahead. It'll always be a tool, I think.
1: You've mentioned that you lived in Ireland. You've lived in Ontario. You've split your time between Victoria and Halifax. You spent some time in Nova Scotia. What do you enjoy about each culturally and musically?
0: I've been an observer an outsider, and I don't mean that in a sort of a dramatic way, but there's always a sense of observing, which is a very good trait to have as a songwriter. I love the idea of the sense of seeing things from a perspective that if you live there, you don't see them that way. And every time I move to a new town, I miss the things that I left behind. I miss the people on the East Coast tremendously. The sense of community out there, the sense of humor out there is something that I miss out here. There's always pros and cons, but I enjoy travel for that reason. The act of traveling itself, if I'm in a car, I actually like just sense of motion and travel. Tour buses are pretty great too, and trains are awesome. Planes, not so much. I just got to endure it. The act of travel for me is all about just walking down a street I've never been down before, looking at the street lamps and the shrubs and the way that they put the roofs on their houses and everything, every aspect about it, I'm taking it in and it shows up later in songs. I'm fascinated at this point, even though I haven't traveled too far outside my comfort zone, I tend to travel in places where English, Irish, old European cultures like that sort of has moved as well. So it's very familiar to me. Haven't gone to Asia, haven't gone to Australia, New Zealand, someday I hope. But I do love seeing how traditions morph and change and people take things from one society into another and adapt them. And I really enjoy just the creativity of humans. We are knuckleheads, but we are also pretty incredible in the way we can adapt and change and create beautiful things.
1: Your bandmate Colin Linden was talking about the new album and says it's the band's most spiritual and political musical statement to date. Could you expand on that
0: for us? I agree with him. The spiritual nature of it, I think, comes from, I think we all went through a pretty big period of reflection over those two years of sitting still, I felt like I hadn't been forced to sit still since I was 17. The last time I had to drag my ass into the same room over and over was the end of my high school. And after that, I hit the road and there was always a way that I could move, escape, travel, see, it's not always just about escaping, but there is a sense of being in motion that suddenly was curtailed and it forces one to sit and reflect and think, there's nothing else to do. It's The job ahead of you is to sit still and learn how to do that and be at peace with yourself. So I think a lot of the spirituality that he's talking about comes from that. And there's songs on the album that directly reflect that. The song that we co-wrote together, I Sleep Like a Fugitive. There's lines in the second verse about standing still is the hardest part <laughs> when you're running through the years. It definitely is in the record. I do think of it as this kind of spiritual feeling Politically, uh, one of our members, Tom Wilson, since we had made a previous record, when we made King of This Town, Tom was really coming to grips with the fact that he's a Mohawk. He's adopted and is 100% Mohawk. Up until that point, he'd always hinted at maybe he thought he might have been adopted, but he had no idea what his lineage was. And he thought of himself as a Scottish, French, Irish, white guy to suddenly discover that, no, you're a Mohawk and you're part of the 70s scoop when they took kids out of the hospital and placed them with white families because being Indian, quote-unquote, was not desirable. For him to discover that aspect of his life at this point in his life, I immediately saw him come to earth in a most graceful way. It was like he had his both feet on the ground for the first time. He knew where he's from. He knows who his parents are. It's a hell of a thing to find out late in life. And at the same time as our country is coming to grips with residential schools and unmarked graves full of indigenous kids, like all at the same time, this is happening. Tom's a remarkable man. He's He really is I'm in a band with two really remarkable people. They're both driven, in some ways, I would say workaholics, but I don't mean that. I love that aspect of working with them, that they're both really driven. And every time I find myself stuck or the inertia's got me, I look to them and they're opening studios and they're writing books and they're painting exhibits. It's unbelievable to be around them. For Tom to arrive at this place in his life at a time when the country is really for the first time in the history of our country coming to grips with the legacy of the Indian Act and residential schools and all of that, he's a very talented storyteller and he's always been a bit of a shaman. And I, I do mean that in the true sense of the word. I think of him as having some magic around him. So he started channeling that into his lyric and. Instead of writing about stars and cars and bars, he's writing about the Grand River and those songs. Like Grand River is just a fantastic song. There's still that Blackie rhythm. Oh, glory, lost those blues again. That is a classic Blackie and the Rodeo Kings song. It's got all the things that were in it from the very start of the band. But there is now a focus towards Colin's song, Stop and Listen, which is very much about Black people's experience in the South back in the day. Grand River is very much a contemporary look at what's happening with land issues. I brought a song far from the middle to the table. There's a verse about the fact that people are still living without clean water in a country that prides itself on being top of the list of places to live in the world and... We're so wealthy and we're so lucky and we are all those things, but there's a lot of people who are not, they don't get a piece of that pie and it's well past time for that to change. So I think all of us were able to bring something to that table and kind of the first time we've done that. Let's listen into Oh Glory
1: Lost Those Blues Again. Maybe you could tell us about it.
0: It was a song that Tom and Colin wrote. It arrived in my inbox with a find a place for a chorus melody and harmony I knew exactly what to do. As I say, it's a Blackie song and a groove. When we started playing together, aside from the recordings, we always went out as a trio. So two acoustic guitars and an electric guitar. Tom and I were basically the rhythm section. And I always tried to get a lot of bottom end out of my guitar so I could supply some bass. And we weren't all in the mid-range. Tom and I would do this thing where we just go, Jagga, 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 Jagga. And it's this really infectious groove. It's like a motor. And then Colin would solo over it. And then we'd sing three-part harmonies. And one person would take a verse. And that's exactly what this song is. Get down on the floor, Leave your heavy load,
1: Turn up and go. Get yourself back. without him oh glory lost those blues again there's no one to blame when you're into one too many more i yeah. Oh, glory lost those blues again. That's Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. Stephen Fearing, it's fast becoming a popular question for touring musicians on the Today NBC podcast. Could you tell us about one or more of your favorite diners,
0: drive ins, and dives in British Columbia? It's actually a very difficult question. When you hear diners, drive ins, and dives, I'm going to steer this as like the, the festival workshop where the theme is songs about. The land, and then you steer it gently into singing the song that you want to sing. I'm going to tell you about what I like, which is when I'm on the road, I love bakeries and I love decent coffee, but I'll settle for mediocre coffee as long as the baking is good. I would prefer that over really good coffee and lousy pastries. I'm not interested in that. So here in Victoria, if you want to go and get one of the best croissant or sausage roll that you're ever going to find on the planet, go to Fry Bakery over in Esquimalt. It's so good. I have to stop myself from driving over there. And they're so good that they don't open on Monday or Tuesday. (laughs) They're like, yeah, whatever. We take a long weekend here. There's a lineup. If you're not there by two, most of it's gone. Really good. Duncan. The Arbutus is the diner I think of. It's a dinery restaurant, and my dear friend, Longevity John, who is the grand keeper of the flame in Duncan, he's the guy who's been running the uh, Duncan showroom for years and years. I've known him. He was a really good friend of Willie P. Bennett's, and that's how I met him. He and I have had many a fine burger at the Arbutus. Flickety Jim's in Vancouver used to be really good. I don't know if it still is, but that was a great greasy spoon. They come and go. Vancouver's hard because real estate is really how they make their money. So these little joints pop up and vanish. I used to be a regular at Joe's on Commercial Drive, which is a Portuguese coffee house. I think you might still find Joe is still there. He must be like 90. Stephen Faring,
1: singer-songwriter and member of Blackie and the Rodeo Kings, has been our guest on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send us a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find today in BC Podcasts and iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, YouTube, and Google Podcasts.